Welcome back to Industry Leader's Journey. My name is Su Shin. Have you ever wondered what you would do if you won the lottery? Would you still be working in the same field as now? Is it money or is it a purpose that keeps you going? This episode is all about that perfect combination of skills and passion for solving a big problem that will help lots of people. Join Rodrigo Ferreira, Chief Procurement Officer of Petrobras, the biggest Brazilian oil and gas company. Now, let's begin this journey. Hey, Rodrigo. I'm so excited to join your journey today. Hey, Sue. Thanks for inviting me. A great pleasure to be here with you. So, let's start with these questions that uh, I was wondering about. Um, people are saying you're a lucky guy, so I wanted to hear the story about it. Yeah, so th this is a kind of funny one, you know. Some of my colleagues mess with me because a couple of years ago, I almost win the lottery. The amount was the biggest prize in that particular year, and I hit five numbers from the six numbers required. Can no way. That? <laughs> oh, no. So every difficult day, some friends remind me that I could be re relaxed and driving a Ferrari if I had the competence to hit the six numbers. And I said, okay, guys, I'll, I'll try it better next time. <laughs> But really, from the deep of my heart, I feel lucky anyway. I really love what I do, managing complex operations in large organizations and contributing to make a big difference to their business. I was very lucky to report to some fantastic and contemporary leaders during my career that inspired me and helped me grow and succeed. So yes, I cannot complain. I really love what I do. And if I hit the lottery that day, I would be probably running my business, but I would be doing exactly what I have. Oh, but still on that day, you must have been sad. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't imagine, but I think, uh, you know, we say that to uh, young people or even, uh, you know, older people think about it in case if you won the lottery, what would you do, right? What would you do if you had that billion dollars or multi-million dollars? And I guess you, you had a chance to reflect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. So I want to roll it back a little bit. How did you begin a supply chain career? You studied the industrial engineering, right? That's correct. That's correct. I'm an industrial engineer, and some years later, I got my business MBA as well. By the time I was almost graduating as an engineer, Jack Welsh was considered the CEO of the century. When I read his book, Straight from the Boot, I was positively impressed by his level of energy and passion. And then I decided I would like to be part of the culture he shaped in GE. Then I joined General Electric as an OMOP. OMOP is a kind of a operational management leadership program, like a trainee. You, it's a program for just graduated engineers, you know? And this is a very traditional leadership program in operations in GE. During my initial six years working for GE, I had the opportunity to rotate in several operational roles, such as black belt, plant manager, and services manager. The funny thing is that when I was a leader in operations in a chemical division of GE, I was really very furious about our supply chain performance. The customers were very, very unsatisfied about our poor delivery performance driven by our broken supply chain. And I was the one hearing the voice of the customer. So I, I was really pissed off of hearing the customers complaining. Yeah, that was very bad. Then 
I complained it so much. In a certain day, the CEO of that division decided to reorganize the business and told me, Rodrigo, come here. You complain it so much. Now go there and fix it. <laughs> so my story in supply chain started this way. Well, that was a good start. So you got to fix the problem that you didn't like. All right. And you know, it's a very interesting career you have because uh, I never met anyone who actually worked in this uh, renewable energy sector. Uh, you worked in the, actually two of the best uh, wind turbine manufacturers in the world, which is uh, GE Wind and the uh, Siemens Gamesa, right? So I found out that Brazil is actually number eight in the world in terms of wind energy capacity. That's surprising. So I think you have something to do with it. In fact, Brazil now has installed 18 gigawatts of installed base of wind turbines. So this is a pretty decent capacity and that was built in, in about 10 years. Uh, so this was a a very fast growth in that industry down here. So how did that started? Back in 2011, the renewables industry was just starting in Brazil. You know, the Brazilian National Bank, BNDS, decided to introduce a very competitive financing program to grow this promising industry down here. The requirement to apply to this financing was to achieve a very ambitious supply chain localization level above 60%. Mm-hmm. So, the development and management of a very complex and dense supply chain in the country was a critical factor to success, to have business and grow in the market. The idea was to grow both the industry by implementing the turbines, but also making the implementation of this turbine bring some impact to the local economy as well. So they decided to uh, develop some components uh, industrialization in Brazil for this industry, which had a good opportunity to grow here. Right. At that point, GE very quickly took the decision to face this challenge. And I was invited to start this business up in Brazil, building a full supply chain and an organization from scratch in less than one year. One year? One year, yeah. So uh, that was very difficult to see my wife and my kids every day because I, I used it to travel so much and, and walking all around the country looking for suppliers and developing a brand new supply chain. That was very insane. But it paid off. You know, uh, G led this market in Brazil during the first half of the decade with almost 50% market share as a result of cross-functional effort to make this happen. For me, it was an amazing experience starting up a brand new business from zero, working inside a huge conglomerate like GE and helping this division to become a big and relevant business and leader in the local industry. And then in the middle of a pandemic last year, you made another huge career move and you joined the biggest Brazilian company, Petrobras. So I'm really curious. Can you explain a little bit on the, what the Petrobras does and uh, what is your new responsibility? Yeah, Petrobras is a $55 billion company in terms of annual revenue and the largest company in Latin America. The company produces almost 3 million barrels of equivalent oil per day. Petrobras is also the company that most invests in the region. In the last two years, about $35 billion were invested, most of it in our upstream operations to explore the premium oil in our pre-salt reserves in the deep sea. And we invested as well in our refineries, aiming continuous efficiency enhancement in the downstream competitive market. 
as the CPO of the company, on top of managing the supply chain and delivering very challenging targets, I'm contributing as well with the several transformation processes in place. Wow, that is a really, really big supply chain you have to manage. So after having built a successful track record and reputation with uh, renewable energy sector companies, has your purpose really shifted to something new, different? No, the purpose remains the same, so don't tell me that, please. <laughs> Working in the renewables industry naturally allows you to express easier your purpose and commitment to the economy decarbonization, of course. But the implementation of renewables alone will not be enough to achieve the Paris Climate Agreement. Getting from 51 billion tons of greenhouse gases down to zero in 30 years is a huge challenge. All industries, with no exception, will need to evolve and work with a strong focus and discipline to make this happen. The ESG agenda is here to stay. So my purpose remains the same. I can help on the decarbonization of the planet by decarbonizing our oil exploration and production operations, since supply chain plays a very critical role in this. The development of energy storage technologies to work as a buffer to accommodate the intermittence of the renewables energies are still in early stage. So decarbonizing the oil and gas operations is a very important mission to be taken seriously starting now. On top of this, of course, Petrobras is a big icon in Brazil, our largest company in the country, the largest and most complex supply chain in Latin America. So when I was invited to join, I could simply not say no. I love big challenges, so let's go. Yeah, you like to fix the big problems. <laughs> I noticed the pattern. So I want to actually dig deeper a little bit on that decarbonizing uh, and your supply chain impact. So how are you leading your team to create that more sustainable supply chain and procurement at Petrobras? Any particular initiatives you are focusing on? Yeah, there is a very intense sustainability agenda in place to raise the bar of our operations. A few months ago, we introduced a supplier code of conduct starting clear expectations around environmental, social, and governance standards. The failure to meet such standards, if observed through our regular inspections as suppliers or investigated through our ombuds channel, may imply on prohibiting new business with negligent suppliers. So this uh, was implemented a few months ago and, and is being taken very seriously by the market, by the suppliers and by our company, of course. Also, we are introducing malus and bonus criteria in our competitive bidding processes that consider sustainability aspects. For example, drilling rigs and support vessels with better fuel consumption efficiency earn some valuable points in our decision-making process. So this is a way that we provide incentives to more efficient suppliers that consumes less fuel, for example. Right. And then uh, you provide some decarbonization of our processes internally in, during our EMP process. Right. It's basically, it's like bonus and penalty concept, right? Yes, that's correct. Actually, Ariba sourcing, we have that tool that supports exactly that bidding process so that you get the penalty or bonus points. Exactly. That's exactly the concept. And finally, we are exploring the expertise of our suppliers to develop and implement together cutting-edge technologies that can drive down the greenhouse gases emission into our exploratory processes. For instance, some new technologies, such as the reinjection of uh, CO2 back into the wells, 
sulfur segregation through membranes, electrical turbines in our FPSOs, among others, need state-of-the-art technologies. I've been doing a little bit of research and to learn more about the oil and gas sectors. And I read about this uh, carbon capture and storage technology. And I, I never even imagined you can do that, like capturing the carbon and put it back into the earth. Wow, it's yeah, such an amazing thing. You know, so uh, the turbines, uh, they will, of course, not pollute the environment, but the pollution is there. So if you want to remove some of the CO2, you need to even plant more trees right. or find an industrial way to do that, to capture the carbon. So that's exactly what we're doing now. Right. So I, I, I just started reading Bill Gates' book about the, how to prevent the climate disaster. He was giving this example of bathtub and uh, you know how water is cooling <laughs> over. That's exactly the same thing as uh, the carbon in the air. So either you stop the water which is not completely possible, but that's why you got to drain it, which means you got to capture and then remove that CO2 that we have. So exactly, that, exactly that is really point. cool. And the implementation of such initiatives requires strong collaboration with our suppliers and subsuppliers. This is a supply chain effort in which one company alone cannot make it happen. Other disruptive technologies such as carbon capture industrial plants are gaining scale and hopefully can support us in the near future in this ambitious agenda. Wow. So the role of supply chain and procurement and managing the suppliers is so important, right? I see why you really went for this big challenge. <laughs> so looking, looking into the future then now, what would you say is the next big thing for your procurement uh, organization in your company? Yeah, that's a very good question. In the energy sector nowadays, supply chain strategy that generates value to shareholders and to the society comprises four key areas. Low carbon, low cost, low risk, and low waste. Of course, health and safety, quality, and compliance are no-brainer, a must in all industries, for sure. As already mentioned, we are already deploying several efforts on the carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. In terms of low cost, the high volatility of the oil prices and the improved competitiveness of the renewable sources require the companies to be extremely efficient in cost and cash management. Mm -hmm. On the risk side, the COVID pandemic showed us the impact of shortages driven by single sourcing and the importance of having mitigation plans to supply with weak balance sheets. So I remember I was still living in the US when the pandemic started and going to the Walmart, I was not able to find anything. So all the supply chains were broken. And, and then we realized uh, that we should really start managing better the risks and the dependence on some countries, some suppliers and so on. So that was a big lesson that not only the energy sector learned it, but I would say all supply chains overall learned it as well. Anti-fragile suppliers, able to react quickly to crises and provide solutions that can make them and us stronger are desirable. And we've been working in this area as well. So I would say that the fourth dimension, the low waste, this one I think is the next big thing for us. You know, This is about attacking non-value added with high support of digital transformation and artificial intelligence. Thinking about the early stage of my career as Black Belt, I would say that Lean Six Sigma powered by digitization is the model that will help us reduce the bureaucracy, 
and improve our ability to react faster and strategize more. Can I ask questions just for people who might not know what is Lean Six Sigma? What is that? Yeah, well, Lean is the concept of Toyota, the automaker right. that uh, uh, says that you should eliminate all waste, eliminate uh, everything that does not add value. And Six Sigma is that concept that uh, Jack Welch uh, implemented in GE, which is about reducing variations and, and, and so on. So there is a, a big methodology behind that, more associated to quality programs. And that worked pretty well in uh, 4G in the early years of this decade. But uh, uh, now we, we are more focused into the digitization areas, not only uh, uh, into the energy industries, but, but others as well. I would say that um, the foundation that will sustain this transformation for us will be SAP Ariba. Back in October 2020, we decided to phase out our current SRM and replace by SAP Ariba, which will be fully up and running by mid 2022. It is a critical journey for us that is starting and will allow our organization into the simplification effort. So we do count a lot on SAP to help us build this way. Uh, honor to partner with you. And that's how you and I get to meet anyway. So it's a really exciting part of the journey starting. <laughs> for sure, yeah. for sure. I've been really impressed with your career. And, you know, I noticed that all these successful people has that little secret ingredient. And sometimes they don't even realize because uh, they just do it all the time. It's like their habit or ritual. Is there anything that you can share? What is your daily rituals or your habits that helps you to keep that pace and energy? Yeah, well, uh, one thing that I, I really like a lot and, and I do very regularly, I wake up every morning very early and run every day. So this will save me a lot of health insurance in the future <laughs> and award me some extra years to have fun with my grandsons. So that's a big deal that I have for sure. Live as much as I can in order I can suit can see my grandsons growing, you know. Another thing that I like, since I'm a family guy, I love cooking with my kids every day. So fresh and healthy food, making them enjoy and create good habits. Sometimes they join me and cook together. So it's very cool to see them liking and nurturing this practice as their hobby as well. So this is a habit that I maintain every day. You know, I, I think you're teaching us something important. It's like, it's really important to work, 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 but it's a balance uh, having that self-care, which gives you energy so that you can refresh your mind. Then also spending that time with uh, the connection so that you're happy, right? Is there any final message that you want to share with uh, procurement and supply chain professionals who might be listening to this as a call to action? Yeah, for my supply chain colleagues, uh, I would say that compliance, health and safety and quality are mandatory to be in the game. Cost and cash efficiency and productivity can improve your chances to be a winner in, in your market. But the game changer, what makes you really be in a different level is building a supply chain with ESG purposes and anti-fragile capabilities. Those are the big differentiators in the next normal that can raise the bar. So I would say those are the, the two big things that uh, every supply chain professional should think about and, and focus their efforts in order to build a state-of-the-art supply chain into the current days. All right, I'll take a note. It's ESG, the sustainability, and the anti-fragile capability resiliency. That's correct. 
to continue on this positive note, I would like to end by asking you to finish the sentence. I am optimistic, dot, dot, dot. Yes, I'm always optimistic because I learned in my career that the more I work, the luckier I am. So simply because of that, I'm optimistic because it's about putting my efforts and, and seeing things happening, right? Looking at the current business environment, we see many good things happening, such as companies working in environmental, social, and governing actions that really move the needle. So this is becoming true finally now. On the digital side, the pandemic made a large mass of people adopt the habit of buying through the internet. And such trend is now giving more scale to existing companies and startups in the digital space to develop more and more solutions. And very soon, we'll be able to shake hands and socialize with people as before as a result of the vaccination process. So let's work in surfing the good waves coming. I love that. It's a great note. Thank you so much for joining me. And then I hope to shake your hand soon and meet you there. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity, Sue. That was really big pleasure. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Reba.com.